It's time for episode 96 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 22nd, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where it's not the heat, it's the humidity. I am your host, Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my co-host, Mr. Dan Warren. Hi, Dan. Hello, Jason. You've got more humidity than I do. I have humidity in bulk. I, I can sell it to you at a discount. I don't want it. I don't want it. Uh, so this is Clockwise, where we have four interesting uh, uh, technology topics that we talk about in less than 30 minutes with two interesting guests. And we have two interesting guests, as always, uh, today, especially interesting to my left, from Scotland. It is Mr. James Thompson. Hi, James. A pleasure to be here, Jason. I have brought the cool for you. And to my left, no less interesting, it's Mac Power User's own Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And I am in Florida where it is crazy, oh, crazy man. humid. <laughs> oh, Horrible. so I'm sure it's, yeah, it's mm. just cool, very reasonable there. Uh, since I introduced the show, I will go first with my topic. And here it is. Uh, Apple, as we record this on a Wednesday, Apple's results came out yesterday on the Tuesday. Um, uh, their quarterly financial results. Tim Cook, uh, Apple's CEO, mentioned that he believes firmly that China is on track to be Apple's biggest market. It's already a bigger market for Apple than Europe. And uh, it's uh, rapidly approaching America, although there's still a little uh, room there. iPhone sales, as always, continue to dominate Apple's balance sheet. Uh, Apple is changing fast. If we think of what Apple was like as a company five or ten years ago, um, both regionally and in terms of products, Apple is changing fast. I was just curious. This is a big picture question. I'm not looking for a, a detailed projection or anything. But what when you think of the Apple of 2020, which, by the way, that far off time is five years away, um, what what does that Apple of 2020 look like to you? What what How is it going to be different from today? James? Well, I think actually all the basic stuff is going to be exactly the same. I think they're going to be selling Macs, iPhones, iPads, watches, Apple TVs, all selling for about the same price they do now with faster processors, new features and all that. But I don't think there's going to be any quantum leap in the next five years around those devices. I mean, we probably said exactly that just before the iPhone arrived. Um, I think we might see a processor change in that time, perhaps to some custom ARM chip or something on the Mac side. Um, there's been some speculation that the processor independent bitcode stuff that Apple's introduced with Xcode 7 might indicate that they're trying to abstract our apps away from specific hardware. Uh, but generally, I think Apple is going to probably keep diversifying into new kinds of products into wider markets. You know, there's so much noise about the possibility of a car that I'm starting to believe there will be one, or at least some kind of transportation device, hopefully not in the style of a Segway. Um, but I could see more inroads into the media. Apple now has a radio station that produces its own content. Perhaps a future Apple TV, and I still owe Dan a fiver about this, might come <laughs> with some original content of its own. Um, you know, maybe Apple will decide the only way there can be a decent Steve Jobs movie is if they make it themselves. <laughs> and, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality are both areas that the competition are spending a lot of money on. You know, does Apple have some headset in the wings? Uh, it would surprise me if they don't have a team at least looking into it. Uh, my main worry would be if Apple is going to turn into Sony uh, with so many different and possibly competing groups. Can it grow into these other areas and still stay one cohesive entity? Um, I think 2020 is going to be here a lot quicker than we all think, and there's not going to be that much time for change. I think James is is mostly right about this. I think that 
things never change quite as radically as I think we expect them to, or at least on that kind of time frame, um, or at least the changes are more modest, I think, than we than we um, anticipate. I think the big thing is that a lot of what we look forward for, especially on a longer time frame of like a ten to twenty years, it's the advances are never quite what we expect. Um, I think that everybody, you know, you look at the science fiction of like the 50s, the 60s, even into the 70s. And, you know, the big glaring thing missing from a lot of them is the Internet. Uh, And that completely changed the way that we saw things. Um, At that point, we were all thinking about innovations that, you know, focused on things like going to the moon. So uh, I think that on a five year time frame, James is right that that Apple looks a lot like it does today. I think, you know, extend that to 10 or 20 years out and maybe we're we're seeing something very different. Um, And it's possible. And and I think probably likely that on a long enough time frame, the revolution or the major innovations are going to be something that none of us have quite expected. Uh, And whether that means because we're sort of taking a, uh, a leap into a different sort of realm, like a bio augmentation realm or what have you. I, I think that there's, there's a different path perhaps that, that is not directly, uh, you can't directly extrapolate from where we are right now. But I think on a short enough time frame, things like smartphones and iPads and even the Apple Watch aren't really going anywhere. And that 2020 will probably look a lot like it does today, but with a I think a, probably a lot more invasion of networked devices around your home and in your life. Yeah, I think if you look ahead five years, let's also look back five years and see, okay, well, what's the big difference from 2010 to today where we are in 2015? You know, in 2010, that was when the iPad was introduced. And the landscape looks a lot like it did still in 2010 as it does now in 2015. You know, we've got the iPad, although it's very different than it was. We've got the iPhone, although it's very different than it was. You know, probably the only totally new thing we have since 2010, five years later, is is we do have the Apple Watch, and that's certainly an emerging category. So what evolutions have we made, and, and where do I think we'll go further? I think Apple has clearly shown us that especially with the new MacBook, the MacBook One, if that's what you care to call it, uh, is that we're, we're taking a move into wireless. I think wireless technologies, you're, you're going to see less things that have to be direct connected, whether that's a good thing or not. That's definitely where things are going. Um, I think we're also seeing a shift into more subscription-based services, more online-based services. You know, you may not um, necessarily download your software. A lot of it, I think, is going to be web-based. And I think they're going to continue to make inroads into the home and into the car. I think I think they're finally going to do something with HomeKit. I know it was kind of a slow start, but I'm, I'm very excited to see how these Apple devices can interoperate with my home. And I, and I think that's going to be the big thing is, is Apple going to stay a closed down ecosystem where they only interoperate well with their own devices or are, as we've seen with, with uh, technologies like HomeKit, are they going to expand and, you know, is HomeKit going to work with like my Belkin Wemo line of products? Is it going to integrate with my Nest? Um, how are people going to embrace this? And I would really like to see, you know, some kind of standard develop and all of these technologies really talk together. And whether that takes off or not, I, I think that's kind of what's going to happen in the future. I do think we're going to see more in the car, but I don't think we're going to see an Apple car. Maybe we will see an Apple car in 2020. Ha ha. I'm, I'm starting to warm to that. Uh, I, I think they're thinking about it. And I think that's sort of fascinating that if you want to do it right, you got to do it yourself. I think that may be their attitude. Uh, the only other thing I'll throw in there is I mentioned China is 
on track to becoming Apple's biggest market. I think this is going to be a challenge for Apple because um, although Apple's products are doing much better than than I think a lot of people anticipated in China, and Apple talks a lot about the rapidly growing middle class in China, and the, and that is a prime market for Apple products. I think culturally, um, China is different enough from uh, the rest of the world especially the Western world, which Apple ha- is based in and has its expertise in, that I'm sure they're doing this now. But I, I, I kind of foresee a major Apple campus in China with lots of people working on stuff for Apple in China in, in tw- by 2020. Because I think if it's your number one market, you can't just have uh, hire some people and do it all remotely from Cupertino. I think they're going to have to make a move and, uh, and actually start building parts of their products, software, uh, and uh, not necessarily hardware design, but software, um, and understanding the business they're in uh, even more than they already do. So that's the other one I'll throw out there. Thanks. That was great. Uh, time to move on to our next topic. James, what do you have? Well, in my recurring role as the bleak dystopian future correspondent <laughs> for Clockwise, um, I wanted to bring this one up. Uh Given the wild story about security researchers remotely hacking a Jeep Cherokee over the internet and controlling its steering and brakes from the comfort of their own sofa, are any of you ever getting in a car ever again? Uh, I'm probably getting in a car again just because I, you know, I kind of have to at time to time. But I think this this hack raises a lot of interesting questions, and we've seen similar things be reported recently about planes too. So if you want to, you know, amp up your dystopian bleak future, there you go. Uh, I guess the biggest question for me, and and I know this is sort of they're starting to try and address this, is why is this possible, right? Like, I mean, is it just that these companies are so blithe about like, oh, no one's ever going to be able to hack into this system? that they don't bother rolling out the actual security or are they actually putting in you know, terrible security that is easily hackable. Either way, they need to do a much better job. Um, and I know that there are there is some legislation pending that it would mandate certain sort of security guidelines and rules for automakers, presumably also for planes. I would hope so. Um, the strangest thing to me at all times, it always seems like they can get into it through the like entertainment systems. And it's like, why are those even connected, right? Like that just seems like a terrible idea. So uh, it does introduce some worry to me. I also feel like, you know, as someone who has an older car that at least does not really have any sort of uh, remote access capability, that that's it, it, uh, mitigates my fear somewhat. But I think as our cars become more technology connected, and especially as you need things like software updates that you don't want to have to go into a dealer to have updated on your car, uh, that this is going to become more and more of an issue. Uh, And as we're more using uh, entertainment devices that are connected remotely or let us get information over the internet, this is going to be a big deal. Um, And I think that it's, you know, the automakers need to be working right now to fix this problem, uh, given the the speed at which they generally work on these things. So I'm hoping that at least if nothing else, this hack brings this to, you know, to sort of the mainstream consciousness and that it encourages automakers and legislators to think like, oh, well, we really don't want to have to start dealing with, uh, you know, dealing with these kinds of issues. But if nothing else, it'll give us a good like CSI plot or something down the road where someone is murdered by their car. (laughs) Well, sitting in my 1997 Toyota, 
with absolutely no technology or internet connectivity. I actually took the tape deck out so and put in my own Bluetooth uh, headset deck. Uh, I actually feel quite safe. I, I do not feel like Skynet or anybody else is is going to get me. But, you know, car technology is, is really, really bad. And Apple touched on this a little bit when they introduced CarPlay. But it's it's not getting any better, really. And, you know, CarPlay really hasn't taken off in a big way. I mean, this technology is just bad. And the problem is, is if you went in today and you bought, you know, let's just pick one, a, a 2010 Honda Accord and the, or two, sorry, 2015 Honda Accord and the 2016 models come out in a couple of months and they have, you know, great new navigation systems and great new technology systems. You know, if you want to upgrade your current car and to, with the technology that comes into next year's model, you know, you've got to go do you've got to go buy next year's model you know this technology is antiquated it's it's almost never updated it's proprietary and if you do want to get it updated it's usually a, a convoluted process of going into a dealership which many people don't do after their warranty period is expired and paying these extravagant fees to get someone to, to update it for you. It's it's locked down. And, you know, it's kind of like the Android versus the Apple model, you know, I think, is is these cars are just running around with all of this old technology that doesn't work with anything else. And, you know, maybe this is a wake-up call. Maybe this is what we need to say, you know, let's let's open this up a little bit. You know, maybe our if we are going to have this technology in our cars, you know, how about here's an idea? Maybe maybe software updates. Maybe these things need to be regularly updated. Maybe the updates need to be easy. Maybe I don't have to take my car into the dealership uh, in order to get updates. And you know, come to think of it, why does all of this stuff need to be connected? You know, why does the entertainment system, you know, to your point, Dan, in my car, uh, need to be connected to the steering system or the braking system or anything like that? You know, getting maps and directions and information is one thing, but, you know, if this car can then drive me off the road, that's that's quite another. Although I understand, you know, having a car that's old as mine, I don't have any of these features, but, you know, a lot of these driver assist features and, and parking aids and things like that, they probably do require some kind of integration with the technology system. But I think segregating these systems is is always a good idea. I mean, it, it goes back to the idea of just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean that we, we should do it. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I will also get in cars, but I, I think this is a natural life cycle thing that um, you get uh, you get new technology and it's sort of security through obscurity, and then the obscurity goes away and everybody goes, oh no. <laughs> and then uh, they learn that they either need to separate these systems or they need to do a much better job of the, of, of the software that goes into them. And I think that's the anybody who has experienced any even vague kind of technology in a car knows how terrible it all is. It's just terrible. And and the, the, the amount of care that uh, the the people who supply that technology is generally um, nearly non-existent. And the car companies kind of don't care because they're just trying to get the lowest bid OEM, um, you know, company to bring technology in because the car companies don't care either. I think that's the interesting thing about Apple investigating cars, about what Tesla is doing, is they're looking at the whole product in a way that uh, traditionally car companies haven't. And I think the end result is going to be the car companies are going to realize they're in the software business and that they need to build their own software and they need to you know, care about the security and they need to become technology companies. And I think, honestly, I think this is actually one of the reasons why Apple is thinking about the car industry is that if you look at a car, I said this at the time, if you look at what a car is 10 or 20 years from now and you think of what a key component of it is, you keep coming back to the integration of hardware and software. And who's good at, it, at, good at that now? Apple is good at that. That's 
that's what Apple does. Car companies aren't. And uh, and so something's got to give. Or we will all be like James and just either stop driving, not drive, or uh, only drive cars built before 2005. Yeah, well, I'm lucky that my own car is a, an old battered Nissan Micra from the last century. And I think its engine management system is about sophisticated as a digital watch, or at least a digital watch back from the days when digital watches weren't tiny internet-connected supercomputers. <laughs> it doesn't have any wireless networking, so for now I'm probably safe. But unless somebody attaches something to the diagnostic port of the car while I'm not looking, or if everybody else on the road is driving remote-controlled Jeep Cherokees. But it's getting a bit old, and by the time I come to replace it, I'm concerned that all of my options are going to be part of the internet of car-shaped things. Um, actually thinking about it, it must have some wireless support. For There's the door unlock, there's the Bluetooth uh, for the radio. So, you know, I should probably just go and live in a Faraday cage. You're doomed. You're doomed. Um, or as I mistyped it earlier today, a Faraday cave, which I think <laughs> would work very well. Have you considered wrapping your entire car in tinfoil? Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to it, but we'll see what happens. All right. Those are two good topics. We have two more to go, um, but it's time for our halftime. We usually have a sponsor, but we don't have a sponsor this week. So halftime is brought to you by The Bicycle. It's like a computer for your legs. I I did actually see, uh, as I I was walking home today, I saw a bicycle that somebody had put an Apple logo on. (laughs) And I thought, yes, that is exactly what we need. Mm -hmm. The iBike. Yeah, that's right. All right. Halftime's over because that was it. Uh, I know we're all still uh, trying to recover, but we have to move on. Dan, what's your topic? Well, I've run into an issue recently. I don't think it's just me. Um, I've had a harder time uh, typing on my iPhone just in terms of numbers of typos that come up. And I've noticed that I think autocorrect starts to change things like that are legitimate words to things that are not words. And then things that I would consider fairly easy typos to catch, it doesn't change. And so I'm kind of getting frustrated with this because I feel like typing used to be much better on the iPhone. And I, and, and I don't think this is a, a problem that is exclusive to me. I've talked about it to some other people and, and heard issues from them, too. So I'm, I'm curious to know if you guys have experienced any uh, problems with that. Do you feel like autocorrect maybe has gone too far? Maybe it hasn't gone far enough. I don't know. So, in, you know, to sum it up, autocorrect, threat or menace? Uh, I agree. Autocorrect has become a menace and I don't know if it's been more lately or if, I don't know what's going on with autocorrect, but uh, my people that I send emails to will look at me and just say, I don't know what you were saying. And I said, well, what does it sound like? What does it sound like I was trying to say? Um, but autocorrect definitely needs to be tweaked. Uh, but one of the things that I'm still frustrated with is, you know, I use a couple of third-party keyboards, probably the Text Expander Touch keyboard being my my favorite of them. Why can't those keyboards have some of the, the built-in features that the Apple keyboard does? I know they try to implement on their own, but whatever that nest, that proprietary thing is that, that Apple uses that was at one point pretty good and now has gotten a little overzealous, uh, they still don't have access to. So I think there's a lot of things that could could happen with with autocorrect that would make it better not not only tweaking the algorithms a little bit not only you know making it less aggressive but also maybe opening it up a bit would would be a welcome change as well uh i think this is a rest question fan ios 9 right now really is um if you're using the beta of that uh it it like suggests words that i did aren't even close to what i typed i'm not quite sure what's going on it's a beta uh i'm encouraged by that in the sense that maybe they're trying to make tweaks to autocorrect but i share your uh your feelings about this it is i don't know what it is but i am having a a hell of a time um on my iphone and my ipad where things get corrected uh weirdly and things get capitalized weirdly like like words that are not 
capitalized, I find getting autocorrected to capitalization. I don't know what's going on. Um, I, and I don't have a solution other than to say, yeah, go get them, Dan, because you're right. It's uh, something is going on and, and I feel like we're regressing. Um, I think no discussion of autocorrect is complete without a link to damnyouautocorrect.com, mm. um, even though some of the examples on there look completely fake these days. But it's a good indication of how a subtle word change can completely alter the meaning of a sentence. Um, though I wish it would learn that when I type, I'm going to be quite busty tomorrow, it's far more likely that I meant quite busy. Uh, so in that sense, it doesn't go far enough. Um, I do think we need some kind of autocorrect correct. Something that will look for when we've used the wrong word in the middle of a sentence. You know, all the words are now in English and they're spelled correctly, and that's great. Uh, but it does mean that a spell check no longer finds any problems on your documents. And it's actually worse than if there was just a simple typo, because the mistake has now been carefully buried. Uh, Microsoft Word had a grammar checker a long time ago. And I'm sure autocorrect is somewhat contextual, but our devices are fast enough to do some pretty sophisticated processing while we type. And I'd be happy to give up some more CPU cycles to get it uh, more correct. Uh, then again, I'm sure there's some Apple engineer yelling at us right now about how our, our phones would need to literally become sentient beings before they could figure out all the possible ways we mistype things. Yeah, I, I agree with all of you. I, I have definitely seen it correct to non-words, and I don't understand why. A lot of times it corrects to, like, two words, one of which is not. It'll be, like, if I try to, like, inevitable, it'll try to connect to, like, invitable. It's like, those are not words. What is happening? Um, and so I, I don't know what it is. I have a suspicion, and I guess this is one of always those Kremlinology things that you deal with, especially with Apple, is that the people who are working on keyboards have largely moved to other projects because of the fact that the, you know, uh, oh, hey, we nailed it. We got autocorrect. Let's, uh, let's redistribute those resources elsewhere. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I definitely agree that they they need to spend some time just sort of re-looking at that and trying to figure out what went wrong. I don't know if they put in an algorithm or something that just totally like decided to go off on its own and start machine learning and, and got everything wrong. But it's it's really annoying. And the delete key, I always end up in the delete key when I'm trying to type things and I get frustrated and have to retype all words. So Katie, what's your topic? So my topic is the Apple Watch. Lately, it's gotten some flack from people as a platform because it lacks certain apps. And one of the often cited examples is it doesn't have a Facebook app. You can't update your status or browse your friend feed on the Apple Watch yet. And it doesn't have certain Google apps. And my question to you is, do you really want to interact that much with your Apple Watch? Is there a happy balance? Because one of my favorite features of the Apple Watch is that it is not a source of distraction for me, that I can't go check Facebook or check my Twitter feed or go do all of those things, but instead only the information that is most important comes to me. And so I end up leaving my other devices behind, but knowing that I'm not going to miss something important because it's going to come through on my watch. So I guess that's my question for you is, uh, are you finding that you're missing some of these apps on your watch? And um, how much do you really want to be able to fiddle with your Apple Watch throughout the day? I think this is a great question. And I think a lot of times people's expectations for what the Apple Watch is going to be are just not uh, are just not reality. It's not a phone. Uh, the apps on it are uh, need to be quick. Uh, glance and uh, get through a really quick interaction and be done. You shouldn't be spending time sitting there on your watch. My happy interactions with the watch are all very brief. 
um, you know, no, usually no more than a second or two, occasionally maybe five or 10 seconds, and that's it. And I'm okay with that. I, I think this is just, this is not the same device as a phone. And um, I love that it's giving me notifications and it can push data to me. And with watchOS 2, it's going to be able to show me things from third-party apps in complications on the watch face. I think that's all great. But um, I want it to all be about very quick in and out, uh, you know, let me do what I need to do or or see what I need to see and then move on to the next thing. So very task-based, not, uh, you know, I, I'm going to spend much more time on my phone than I am on my watch. And, and that that's the point. The watch is not a failure if it's for short interactions. In fact, I think it's a failure if it's not for short interactions. Well, I, I too think that's an excellent question and not just because it lets me legitimately talk about Peacock without having to crowbar in a reference. Um, I do think it's somewhat surprising that Facebook hasn't done a watch app, at least for Messenger, because that's exactly the kind of thing that the watch is suited for. You know, notification of an incoming message or event and then sending off a, a quick response. Yeah, I don't want to read my Facebook newsfeed on my watch any more than I want to read Twitter. But I know some people do. Um, either way, I think Apple said yesterday there were 8,500 watch apps available now. So it's definitely not a lack of apps. I don't think the presence or absence of any specific company means that the watch is doomed. You know, I think a lot might have just been holding off until the native SDK appeared before starting development. Um, it's an interesting question as to how much those apps are actually being used, though. And I'd love to know exactly the numbers on that. I'm sure Apple's analytics software knows, but they're not revealing those figures to developers, at least not yet. Um, I think much like in the notification center, my own PCALC occupies a gray area on the watch. Performing a calculation is not a simple interaction, but it's useful to have it there. And some people will find it more useful than other people. Uh, but if I could tell that nobody at all was using it after the first week, or the average length of interaction is either two seconds or two minutes, that would give me a lot of direction as to where to focus my design and development efforts. As the old saying goes, if an app is written for the watch, but nobody uses it, does it make a sale? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that um, I think the, the watch is, is still tricky. I think we're, you know, we're still right at the beginning of this, as, as Tim Cook himself even said. And so it's hard to figure out exactly what all the interaction paradigms are like. Um, and so I think James is right when it comes to talking about like, well, you know, some things don't necessarily fall into the categories of those quick interactions that we think the watch is useful for, but they might be useful nonetheless. Um, and I have a hard time. I mean, I'm not a Facebook user. And I, and so I guess I have a hard time figuring out what I would do with that anyways. But even if you look at something I do use like Twitter, you know, the watch is not a great place necessarily for composing tweets or even sitting down and like paging through my timeline. What do I want there? I want notifications, frankly, which I already kind of get for free. So I think there's a, a big question as to what are the useful features on the watch. And I think a lot of that will come from the native apps that we see uh, when watchOS 2 comes out, or at least I hope so. Uh, because I think a lot of the things holding the watches back now are more, more technical than anything else. It's like it's very slow to launch an app. And by the time that it actually, uh, you know, comes out, then... I think that it's, you know, by the time the app actually comes up, you could have just used your, your phone by that point and gotten more information. Or certain things are too detailed and it's like I need to actually take out my phone because the watch doesn't provide a good way to do everything I want to do there. So I, you know, I, I agree to, to Katie's premise that I don't think necessarily those apps are holding you back because I like the distraction-free environment. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if, I feel like in some ways this question is, is just not, 
Um, the people who are concerned about that, I think, are missing the point. Yeah, I tend to agree that the people who are worried about the Apple Watch not having a Facebook app or maybe not having a Twitter app, they're not really sure what the Apple Watch is for. I think they just see it as Apple is doomed because Facebook isn't writing an app for the watch. But uh, I, I think that's probably my favorite feature of the Apple Watch is that it's not distracting me with all of this this other content. So I found my happy balance, and I think things are going to only get better now that developers have access to more. I'm very excited about Apple Watch or Watch OS. 2.0. Um, but I am still going to be very selective with the things that I put on my watch, my watch because I, I don't want it to get too cluttered and I'm, I'm not going to be staring at my wrist all of the time fiddling with my watch. All right. Uh, great topics all um, where we've reached the end of the show. Time just for a very quick bonus question, which I uh, I threw in. But listeners, please uh, tweet us your bonus questions to uh, pod, uh, what is it? Clockwise pod to clockwise pod. Um, in in uh, I mentioned earlier, it's hot. I wanted to ask very quickly, what do you like to cool down, James? I realize this may take some imagination from you, but you may go first. Well, yeah, our maximum daytime temperature in Glasgow at the moment is about 17.5 degrees centigrade or 63.5 degrees Fahrenheit. So I will not rise to this obvious baiting from the gentleman to my right. Uh, dark sky is a vital part of my daily routine right now, so I can work out when I might be able to leave the house and not get completely soaked. You might as well ask, it's raining. What do you do to, what do you like to do to not be wet? Mm. Um, whenever we have a day of sunshine here, someone will say, I hope you enjoyed the summer, same time next year. Um, so, you know, it is traditional here that when it becomes really sunny, what you do is you take your top off, you run around the local park and you get very, very badly sunburned. <laughs> That, that's a solution of sorts, I suppose. Uh, here in the humid, hot Northeast summer, I like to do something simple like, say, uh, drink a cold can of seltzer or something like that. That's pretty much, that's pretty much my cold right. staying cool. Katie? Air conditioning, air conditioning, air conditioning. And I've got to say that uh, being from the South, my grandmother makes the absolute best sweet iced tea. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you got it. Iced tea. And I've got a big tree in my backyard. So I'll like go under the big redwood tree in the shade and get some iced tea and try to try to stay cool. All right. We've reached the end. Thanks to our fine guest to my left, the gentleman from Glasgow, James Thompson. Um, don't get sunburned on. Did you already have your summer day? Um, we had one a few weeks ago. It's actually, I, as I said, this the sun has come out. So uh, I don't know what I don't know what this means. Well, thank you for being here. It's a, always a pleasure. And Katie Floyd, thank you again for returning to Clockwise. Thank you for having me. Always fun to be here. And that's it, Dan. We did it. I am still selling humidity in bulk if anybody wants it. All right. Uh, no takers. Uh, <laughs> thanks to everybody out there for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Clockwise. And until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.